0: My name is Andrew Newby, and I'm hosting a series of iResearch Services podcasts intended to educate senior level marketers and thought leaders as to how to address some of the more challenging and exciting issues facing them currently. Our topic today is that of visual storytelling and design thinking in thought leadership. With that, I'd like to welcome our guest expert, Ali Ahmed is Director of Thought Leadership at Fidelity Investments and he's based in Boston in the United States. In his professional and personal life, Ali has been curious to know three things. Why is this, in quotes, the way it is? How do we make this better? And what's next? That kind of curiosity has led Ali to many different places. Teaching young minds as a high school science teacher in Baltimore, Supporting the redesign of digital infrastructure for Amtrak's Customer Experience Programme. Creating materials to address, prepare for and deal with the most catastrophic disasters. In his work at the Preparedness Division of the US Federal Emergency Management Agency, known as FEMA. Nally's latest gig, crafting research to understand how older Americans will support themselves as they age as a member of the Workplace Thought Leadership Team at Fidelity Investments. Ali, thank you very much for sharing your time and your insights with our listeners and welcome.
1: Thanks Andrew, I appreciate your time here too, thanks.
0: Thank you. Ali, can you um, just start off by telling us a bit about your current role um, and how that's been informed by your previous very varied Fascinating professional roles, and and perhaps relating to your own background.
1: Um, yeah, so I I want to like start off to say like I I um I kind of stumbled into the, the role of, of of thought leadership. I honestly, when I when I I'm very candid about this, I didn't even know thought leadership was a thing ten years ago, five years ago. But I think what was uh, at least the way that it's been formally crafted but I do re- recognize and realize that you know um, I have an opportunity and responsibility to help inform the narrative of how people experience day-to-day things and really understand how do you make things better for for people regardless of whatever the experience may be so um, I joined Fidelity a few years ago and was part of their their innovation lab and uh, one of the first projects I got to to work on was with the um, annuities group. And something that I never expected to fall in love with was really the world of retirement and retirement income, considering I was like, oh, this is gonna be several decades away, so why even factor it? But really the way that I understood it and really kind of uh, fell in love with what I was working with is about curating or crafting um, really opportunities for folks to create financial security for for the you know for older Americans, often considered, you know, one of the most vulnerable populations in, in the American public. So I think that's one of the things that like really made me understand that I have an opportunity to really help people live the lives that they want to do.
0: Sure. So um, you you work with if I understand from a discovery call, if I recall, that you you work with actually quite a number of different people within Within workplace, so uh, the financial awareness side, diversity advisory role, there's a financial wellness role, there's a global component. How did that must have been very intimidating to you when you first joined?
1: Absolutely, I think one of the things is you know imposter syndrome is very very real thing, and you step into it, and you're like, oh, I, I'm standing. Um, on the shoulders of giants and then also expected to to be that tall and that big in this space as well. so it is it is a little bit daunting. I think one thing that helps me ground um, uh, like height kind of my approach is one um, I try to be as collaborative and open about what I don't know and what I do know and, and make sure that I I work out. So we have folks across uh, that I work with a fantastic team of thought leaders and uh, they are aligned with, Um, different parts of the business whether it be about financial wellness whether it be a global component whether it be about student debt uh, you name the product or service that fidelity offers uh, we are we have somebody aligned to it from a thought leadership uh, component but the team has been fantastic to work with there's like so many years and decades of experience on that team that you can just tap into say hey this is new to me and it may be new to the other person too which is the whole point of the the work that we're trying to do but through that kind of collaboration it's really really fun and also uh, a challenge
0: I, I love the um a catchphrase you you use when we were talking when you you talked about having a, a sense of urgency and of deep patience and i'm to remind yourself of that over and over again can you elaborate because it bears on what makes for quality thought leadership and um yeah, if you could just elaborate, and sort of <clears throat> how that sort
1: of yeah, you know, I think of one of the out. things is yeah, my my pleasure. I think one of the the this is also, I think, barely speaks to um, anybody that, and I think w- a lot of the language I see about coming from startups or whatever, like my startup is here to change the world, or my thing is about revolution. Those things, they take time and they take consistency. And I think that's the the point, but it doesn't mean that you're like, oh, I didn't get a result within a week or within a month. So therefore let's just pivot and try to do something else. You have to like attack it with um, with whatever the problem that you're trying to do. If you're really trying to change millions of people's like perspective, then you have to work at it That it's not something that is an easy easy like thing to do or not something that's straightforward it often takes a long effort so one having the ability to balance to say like change does take time results aren't overnight that's the patience component but it doesn't just because it takes a long time there's a long arc for for success doesn't mean that you should kind of be lax about how you approach it every moment is is fleeting and we should be able to fulfill that with a, a level of, of, I don't know, full intention and really, really like methodical kind of preparation too.
0: So, um, just taking a, a step back, you, it, it feels like we, we need to take a holistic view um, and, and don't lose sight of broader audiences of allies, enablers, sort of other stakeholders within an organization when you're trying to frame a campaign or a product. Um, can you speak to that, please? Just about the, the, I guess we call it the audience journey within an organization.
1: Yeah. So bear with me here. So I think there's a couple of things to, to understand when you're crafting any type of message, it's really uh, important, essential to understand and empathize with your audience, right? they're more than likely not to have the same kind of experience or expertise with the thought leadership idea that you're trying to convey. So for me, it's always important to have a beginner's mindset. Um, how I, would I explain this to a five-year-old or your mom, an alien, whoever your version of a novice is, is, is really what I, I try to drive at. However, however, I want to call out, it's important not to speak down or be condescending to, to your reader or to your audience member because I'm pretty sure, Andrew, that you don't like it when folks try to make you feel dumb. So the same thing. We shouldn't try to make the same thing happen here. The second part I would like try to ar- argue is like never assume that your reader has the luxury of time um, because they just don't and or you haven't even earned that kind of time with that audience. And even if you think you've like quote unquote earned it, that it's fleeting. That's not necessarily there. You can lose it. At, at the drop of hat. So brevity is a, a, like a, a timely art, but your reader will appreciate it. So there's like many things that are, you know, I can't, I can't argue this, especially with the, the pandemic and also just normal everyday life. There's so many things that compete for our attention today. So being quick and straight to the point is not only effective, it's necessary. So, and then the last thing I, I try to do is give people a call to action something they need to do after they've interacted with the piece that you've written or you've created because as i was mentioning like we're not only do we have so many things competing for attention we're an in information overload it's overwhelming so if you're going to share something to with your reader there's got to be a reason why so you might want to them to do something or or change something but being upfront with what you want folks to do with your idea and their newly learned knowledge empowers people to be a part of the change you want to lead with your ideas
0: and does that um is that related also not just to your end audience but also to the people you work with and and your, your broader stakeholders absolutely you're, you know um so in terms of okay let's 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 start at the top line what do you think what, what are the pillars of good content, we've talked about brevity, Um, but yeah, what are the the sort of broader pillars that we need to sort of bear in mind as marketers and designers?
1: So it's about Um, approachability and accessibility. So the way I would probably say those three bullet points is really about approachability and accessibility and then a call to action, right? Is this work easy for me to understand is this work uh, clear enough that I know what's going on? Do I have a full context of what's happening? And now, do I need, do I know what to do after I've read this, this piece? So, I think what I've always kind of learned is, 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 is the piece strong enough to stand on its own without you there to explain it? And if that can be done, then you are like in a good standing of what's going on. Too often, um, we may have to feel like, you know, I've read pieces or academic papers then then refer me back to another piece. And I read back and I've like now pulled out 30 different pieces and I'm like, wow, I don't have time for this. I may have time for this, but I don't want to create time for this. And I think that's that's a disservice because there might have been a, a really valuable thing. The other part too is um, a lot of my reading and consuming is often done on my phone. I'm scrolling through, with my thumb. And so that's the other part about the accessibility and approachability piece. Too often thought leaders might say, hey, let's create a giant white paper and uh, let's write something there. The number of academic white papers that are unread is staggeringly high. And I think that's, you don't wanna be in the business of creating shelfware. We really wanna say, my time is valuable, so is yours. Here's something that I see is urgent, do something about it, and now we have progress.
0: Yes, I I think in the age when no one is traveling anymore, um, you know, the the days when CXOs could relax in their plane, um, you know, with a 40-page white paper, uh, if they ever existed, uh, are are long gone. Um, So so from what you're you're saying, that content should be um, conversational, um, you know, it's it's not a one-way process, so it should be interactive, conversational interactive, um, impactful, obviously, and, and, um, and this is where design comes in, aesthetically pleasing. Um, t- t- just in terms of the, the mix between, say, the data itself and the story you're telling and um, the visual sort of, are any of those more important than the other? Does it depend on the end message, the call to action you're you're seeking to achieve, or so what 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 what's the recipe? What's the Ali Ahmed recipe book? I love about? this question.
1: Yeah, no, I so I would say that this is this is uh, um, to me uh, it's the call to action is the most important vital point of 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 any piece. Uh, you really want to empower people to do something, so. I kind of, to walk, but there, it's the sum of the parts here, right? So I want to say like, it's pretty difficult and I am still practicing and learning on my, my, uh, on my own. Also, it's, I don't do this alone. I have a very, very talented uh, team that I work with who help me with what I try to do. So I, I um, want to say like, the way that I approach thought leadership is really to use data, visual storytelling and the storytelling is the key and then the call to action. So if I could break it down in a, in a, in a different approach. So mm. I would say like um, one of the things that how I start off with a lot of my pieces is, is I start big, I start really, really, really huge. And I collect a lot of stuff and this is why it's important. Cause I'm just like, I feel like I'm preparing for some unknown trivia game and I'm just like, I'm just pulling in as much information and I just dump, get in all the facts I can and jump as much info as I can. And then, I think one thing I want to call out is like you got to set up a lot of time to do that to like learn and consume and internalize it takes time. And then I'm like, all right, I've learned as much as I can in in this in this in this short amount of time that I've given myself, um, but let's not boil the ocean here. Let's figure out what's the appropriate way to to go about it. And I go back to the core of this, who am I creating this piece for? And why am I creating this and starting with that audience in mind, right? So I'm asking myself, what do they need to be informed? What is the the, the real, real bare minimum, the, the minimum viable product or minimal viable information that they need in order to do something? And that question often drives a lot of my, my process. And so then I'm now, okay, I've got information. I now have intention back. In my my thing now it's trying to figure out how do I start to think about translating that work and so the next part of the flow uh, it's to drive the work down um, almost like what a writer would do for a story down this narrative arc that I I envision so um, I'm not sure if it if it makes any sense but hopefully you know if there's something you know feel free to ask some questions so my reader the audience. Is, is the protagonist, the hero of my story. And what they're reading about is often the problem. It's the antagonist, it's the villain. It's the person that's causing you from having the the, the happy ending that you really want. And I start by setting the scene by providing context of the the problem I'm trying to convey. So that's the exposition of my, my story. And so um, one thing that I try to present is like the data in a way that like really arrests your intention but still compels you to feel like okay I should continue reading you have to build drama you have to feel like how how this is going. This is like your rising action toward your 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 climax. So like while folks like love to hear about a great challenge they love that kind of thing. They don't want to hear about something if there's no win in sight. That's defeating. And you don't want to be like hey can't do anything about it, and then people are really quick to, to check it out. So it's important to empower your reading to acknowledge these challenges or, they exist, but they can be overcome. So how that happens will come later in the piece, but there is some like um, uh, weaknesses in, in the villain right there, the problem that you're trying to present. So after we've tried to showcase like how the problem's been initially highlighted, it's we then also say other folks have been doing this too they've been trying to tackle the problem and then talk about what's been working and how there's like they can jump on part of this component and for a business reader they're like oh my competitors are already doing this i can't be left behind and so they are feeling a little bit of urgency in that sense so then after you read about what's the problem is what's working and then stating that there's still work to do that's when you introduce the call to action inspiring that hero the reader to jump into action and to take charge on what's happening next.
0: Do you amplify the size of the, the problem or the antagonist or the ugly monster, whatever you choose to call it, um, and, and then talk about how to attack that problem or antagonist or ugly monster? Is it's exaggeration or?
1: Um, Absolutely not. I think the, the, you know, the last 15, 16 months is that you don't have to exaggerate any problem. I think if you just <laughs> look at the reality of the of the world, you're like, oh, man. Right. Oh, snap. This is... <laughs> yeah. You know, your your imagination often falls short for how bad some things can be for for some <laughs> some folks in some communities. So I, I never do that. I really have to, a data driven approach. And so I do a, try to do a, a, a multiple approach uh, for this one. So one, I try to use as much public data. Um, as possible. So that may come from like think tanks, research institutions from the the American government and use their treasure trove of information there. The other part to see is, uh, and this is where I pull in data that comes often from Fidelity is what's been working. So really the data about talking about the magnitude of the problem comes from other sources because I really, really am keen to say like, I'm not inventing issues here. I'm not inventing problems and I'm not making things up. This data didn't come from me. You can go check out the federal government and the US Treasury, or you can check out the Census Bureau here and they will report the same thing. Everyone has access to that. And I think that's the accessibility part is that you don't have to go through paywalls or firewalls or sign up through a login to find out how big the problem is. All my job was, was to surface it and to say that this problem is not just a problem, it's your problem. And now you have an opportunity because you've been informed to do something. And we've been thinking about it for years or for so many months or whatever it may be that you sign up with, uh, with a product or service that we're offering in order to tackle this problem.
0: Right, so um, in, in terms of creating this sort of um, ideal sort of optimal bundle, of characteristics D- just turning back to sort of the professionals you know that our audience would, would uh, see executing this um, I, I found that one of the, the, your, one of your key messages is that design and marketing need to be working with the thought leaders right from the right from the get-go from the process of design um, right through the product launch um, so on a functional level, is, is, is that correct, or can they come in sort of midway, or how does that work in terms of, um, yeah, working with all stakeholders together?
1: I I love bringing people way before napkin sketches even even part of the the mix, right? Often folks. I will say that like my previous experience will, will, and I, uh, any designer may, may recognize this where they're given a product and they're like, can you make it pop or can you make it pretty? Mm-hmm. No, like design has a, has a, has a responsibility to be at the table way at the beginning of the conversation and not have to be forced into it. So I often bring people in way early and often the first conversation I have with, I have a, so one I have a fantastic designer whom i work with and like i adore the relationship we have because i can come in because the first conversation is very messy and very abstract and like hey Hmm. all this stuff and it is very much um a, a a a challenging thing to watch if you're not part of that conversation because it is ideas flowing all over the place however It's about being able to bounce those ideas, figure out what makes sense. So if I was the thought leader of just myself, I don't have to worry about um, getting buy-in from anybody else or even caring about what other people think. But that's not how people of this community or this profession really understand. If you wanna be part of like influencing the narrative and provoking conversations, you shouldn't be creating alone. And so bringing the storytellers that have different components of it, right? So the way, if we're going to go on this, if I'm going to torture this metaphor about like narrative and writer. So mm. it's important to understand how your book or your piece of writing or piece of literature is going to be consumed by the reader. Is it, an, is it going to be a, in a hardcover? What is the title of the book? Like what is the cover of the book look like? These are important in terms of like the holistic experience o- overall. So I bring designers in way early on. Marketers are also fantastic because they understand how to reach audiences that I mm. don't recognize. And so they're going to be like, Hey, Ali, have you thought about this piece? Or I would love to call out this thing. And I think this would be a great way to this chat that you call here. This would be a great way to, to engage with in a sales meeting or for a conference. And I was like, I didn't know that. That's awesome. Let's do that. And so they just empower the number of channels that you can amplify and also the effectiveness of of going through those channels. So it is a long-winded answer to say that designers and marketers should be at the forefront of your conversation and also consistently part of them. So too often, we do a really good job of um, getting people all riled up. About it, and then we just fall off the map, and we don't communicate with them until, mm. oh, by the way, it's going to be released in about a week. And the person's like, "Wait, what? What happened? I, I I heard about it months ago, and now here it is." So consistency is key. Keeping those people in the process and letting them know what's working, what's not working, because they're advisors for your your work. And so, um, we should work with as many people as possible that. And I that's what I look at is like, who can be impacted by this work. And then I ask for feedback. Too often, folks are polite by nature, and then they're like, "Okay, that's great." And then they, and then the meeting's over. And I really am like, be politely like intrusive, and I ask, "Well, what uh, what works for you here, or what doesn't work for you?" And I, I push for feedback. So by default, my work gets better because now I found another audience member that's now engaged into it. And then you create and curate a team of evangelists for your work. And that too often word of mouth is also the thing and so a lot of my good work comes from oh ali i heard that you are doing this can you tell me more and that is such a lovely feeling to hear is that you are being spoken about your work is being spoken about without you having to promote it and that to me is like the the spirit of the the kind of work that we want to do in thought leadership
0: so you, you you're getting people to understand your vision uh, to help you break you know, the, the status quo and inertia within most large companies, certainly of fidelity side. I'm not saying they're inert in any way. Um, so you're, you're piggybacking, right, not only on their creativity from the start, but you're also not wasting effort by excluding people. who Don't buy into something they weren't consulted on as you said they've been brought in last minute and it you know there's it's not coherent and it's there's no buy-in or little buy-in from people who don't understand the vision is that a correct summary yeah
1: i'll actually i'll give you an example from my 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 previous work and I'll, I'll tie it back in with with what i'm doing so there was uh we were working and a project and we brought in somebody from the um that does information security, the IT security, the, the folks that concern about cyber attacks. And we brought them in way early to the point where it's like, what are you doing? I why are you why am I here and why are you talking to me? And I'm like, Oh, mm-hmm. um, this is what we're building. And he's like, I okay. And he was so confused. He's like, I've been at this company for like 30 some odd years, and you are the first person to ever ask me to come at the beginning. Most people ask me to poke holes at the end of it after it's already been sp- created and then and then we have to go back and revisit and i was like i know i've seen that before but i want to bring you here earlier on so we don't have any holes on uh that could be uh, you know cyber attack threatens whatever uh threats for us so like let's have you in mind at the beginning so that to me was that was enlightening is one he <laughs> was also very like i'm I, he was so surprised but also like pleasantly like just happy to be part of the process way before but too it changes his demeanor because he's like oh i have to fix this problem now he's creating something right and so that was something that was really great when i was working on a project recently at at fidelity i reached out to like 40 some odd people for just initial feedback and i somebody told me he's like ali what are you doing why are you like this is this is this is nuts this is crazy you're going to slow down your stuff and i was like um well, you know, this is how I've always worked, but um, I've also budgeted it into to like to get that much of feedback. So when I move up the the chain and move up to get more buy-in to become more public facing. So the other part to remember and recognize is that Fidelity has millions of customers, 30 million customers to to be exact. And so everything that goes out has to be vetted has to be really really, because uh, there's people's financial security at stake. So we can't be willy-nilly risky with that behavior and just say, hey, put it on because we saw this meme. It has to be really data-driven. and has to be you know, battle-tested and also like really important for them. So that's the other part too, is like the end result is that there's a customer at the stake of this. And so I need to do my due diligence to make sure that whatever I present to that customer is worth their time. And too often we have this drive for urgency, which then, which is still very valid. But urgency doesn't necessarily need to dilute, uh, um, kind of, uh, uh how valid that product is. Like, just getting first to market doesn't mean that you're allowed to bring out a, a trash product. You should still work for with urgency, but also bring out value.
0: Right. In in your experience, is this short termism, if one can call that? call it that, the just need to get something out the door. Is that the main reason why organizations just produce, let us say politely sub-optimal content? Are, are there, what do you recognize uh, as, or, or think are sort of key basic sort of failure points or, or bottlenecks in terms of uh, effective thought leadership and, and design?
1: Yeah, I mean well, possibly. Possibly, <laughs> so, I think part of it is losing sight of the the customer at the at the center of that conversation, right? So it's really being able to understand uh, and then also communicate as much as possible. So let's say, for example, it might be beneficial for um, to capture a like an audience segment to say, "Hey, here's version 1.0, but version 2.0 will be coming out." And so, like, really having an agile approach is not a bad thing but too often folks just focus on urgency or the release date as the only kind of metric. And then they then evaluate customer metrics after the release date. And it's really about understanding customer first and then how do those metrics are gonna be measured up throughout first. So I think that's when you lose sight of the customer, that's what happens with suboptimal uh, products overall.
0: Um, I, I love the from our previous conversation that you you talked about this
1: um
0: heart metric that you have um you know you're as you say you're a voracious consumer of information you start to see patterns um a bit like an algorithm builder so should topics mesh with the metrics necessarily you know if something isn't trending on google does that matter, it, or, or does it depend on, on what you, what the the end goal is?
1: Yeah, you know, I, everything
0: I, be metric driven because you talk about being anchored in the status quo of the fuzzy metric, uh, and you know, why does this matter? Who cares?
1: So I think it's yeah, you know, I think sometimes it's this work. If you're like, how do you start a conversation? Like, how do you measure that effectively, right? And I think. Uh, you know, too often we might get obsessed with metrics like click-through rate or buy rates or all those things. And sometimes thought leadership asks you to be a little bit fuzzier around mm-hmm. the way that it is, and so that's okay. So I think it's being able to pull metrics where you can, because when if you can uh, if you can measure it, then you can also move it, and that's a key component. The other component is being okay with some qualitative metrics as well. So at the core of it, I try to look at this like quadruple bottom line. Approach, right? Is it good for for business? Is it our are, are customers wanting it? And then is it a viable like, is this a money making like endeavor for uh for 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 is it technologically feasible? Can we actually do it? And then um, that's the ethics component. That's where the heart metric comes in. Is like, how do I feel about this work? Is this good for society? Is this something that we should be doing? Too often i think that component may be lost but there's a new kind of i don't know i think the pandemic has has one both exhausted and also deepened my sense of empathy right throughout the throughout mm-hmm. the it's also just it's been a year and a half of, of paradoxes where, where i can recognize like how good i have it and how it's been a magnifying for being grateful for what i have mm-hmm. but then still saying yeah. like things suck and things are they're not great and How do I like balance these things? And the same thing here too, is like, um, is this thing that I'm creating, am I proud of it? I can also look at like those other parts and that's where the thought leadership, I think component comes in is if we're asked to embody these ideas that we're trying to use to provoke, how do we feel about it internally? And often I don't cosign or jump onto things that I don't have a strong belief in. And so I look at it through, through that kind of lens.
0: Do you um, I do, uh, and ask a question, but it's a statement that's appropriate. You, you're a great believer in experimentation. If I if I remember correctly from our last conversation, pilot programs. If you're not quite sure, just put something out and see, and see you know what it looks like. Does it get people comfortable with the risk of of larger programs? Can you just speak to? that for if you
1: oh yeah so too often uh, uh, you folks get um, they think when innovation is supposed to be the thing that's Mm. the new model for business strategy and I think it's important to be able to say um, we innovation is really about a multi-tier approach to try different kinds of things for a short period of time one thing that you may learn is you might be 10 years too ahead of what you're trying to do and that's okay. It might have to wait for maybe audience understanding or, or whatever. So one thing that I have learned throughout my, my work is um, I will present ideas to like senior stakeholders like, oh, somebody brought this up 10, 15 years ago. And I'm like, well, why is it not a thing? Because there was no audience uh, mm. for it. But now you find out there is an audience for maybe uh, for, for the product that you're trying to do. So that's, I think it's one testing to see like in a short burst. To say like, listen, it's not all or nothing. It's gonna be over in six weeks. It's okay. Like, if it didn't work, then that's fine. So right now we're mm-hmm. we're doing a, a data um, kind of uh, analytics project, and I'm like three weeks. That's it. I'm all. We're not doing anything beyond three weeks. If we have outstanding questions, that's good. That means that you wanted to learn more. And you want to continue it, but no more. Like that to me is the success metric. Is that we start on time and we end yeah. it. And everything else, those are gonna be just like kind of silver linings or golden linings to to it. So I think the time-based component is important and really getting folks to say, uh, because moving out of your comfort zone is tough, moving out of like inertia is a thing. And so if you're going to ask people to change what they have spent so much time designing and doing, then just say that there's just a time piece to it. And sometimes there's that physical evidence or visceral evidence, or just like business, create data to say, hey. If you don't like it, that's okay. I just ask for like, here's a time. Just give me two weeks, three weeks, six weeks max. And then that's it. That's all I ask for. And then we'll go back to everything the way that it was before.
0: Just tying this all together and sort of bearing in mind that sort of a large sort of audience for this podcast will be marketers. <clears throat>
1: I'm
0: just trying to tie together what your, I don't know, your three or four pieces of of advice would be for, for marketers who want to enhance their thought leadership campaigns with design specifically.
1: Yeah. So I want to, this is a, this is a tough question and I was sorry, no, it's not that because the thing is that marketing often requires timelines and campaigning and sometimes the work and thought leadership doesn't necessarily line up thematically with schedule releases with what's going on because you really, and I am a strong believer in that I rather do the right work, or excuse me, rather do the right work than rushed work. And so I think that's what's the the component here. So build a healthy amount of time to do this work and be okay with not necessarily uh, aligning with like a product release or whatever, just figuring out the timeline I think is is important. So if you wanna change the the conversation uh, you have to do so mindfully and with like great care. Um, second thing is work with as many people as you can. I know folks will say, no, Ali, I've worked in group projects before and they're, they're worse than when I was in school and they are continue that way. I promise you, if you really, really want to like um, move the, the needle with, with folks, you have to get your audience internally built up first before you even think about an external audience. And I think that's the key about it. And then also stick with a working staff consistency is what makes progress. So too often, I think while I might be trying new things, I'm very consistent about how I approach it, right? I say, here's a pilot program. Let's see how this goes. We'll get evangelization and then move forward. I build that working style up so folks understand, okay, Ali is ridiculous in these 90 seconds or in (laughs) these 90 minutes, but I know that those 90 minutes are coming in or I know that this is the next stage. So I'm very clear about like what happens between the stages of my work can be up there and up for negotiation and then are adventurous, but the state itself, the working style of how I approach work is pretty consistent. So I build that kind of level of familiarity. The last thing, and I think this is just a lesson professionally and personally is be kind to yourself. This is hard work. And too often we may beat ourselves up because they're like, Oh, I'm not getting this fast enough or one Take a moment, take a breather. I do. I don't do this enough. And I'm probably saying the advice for myself is like, Hey, um, Take a moment, take a, and understand if you want to make impact for a lot of people, it's going to take time and it's going to take a lot of reserve and character. And so it is okay to feel overwhelmed. It is okay to feel like this is stressful, but I I look at it and say, all right, I'll come back when I feel a little bit more level-headed and come and approach the the work. Cause that's the value fulfillment that I want to do with this kind of work. And have fun. (laughs) Yeah, you should have fun. That's exactly right. You definitely should have fun.
0: What's the point? Otherwise, Ali, Ali Ahmed, thank you so much for your time and insights. And um, you've been fascinating and uh, love to get you on again. Thank you so much.
1: Andrew, I would love that. Yeah. Thank you very much for the time. I appreciate the conversation. So thank you.